really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, some great interviews, and just so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host. My name is David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan. I follow the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, it's pretty easy to do, and I would love to hear from you. I'm on the dumpster fire known as Twitter, at of Scrum, and I'm slowly integrating the show into you know, every other social as well, including threads where I, I actually occasionally check. So additionally, if it is easier for you, you can always just drop me an email at the scrum of the earth at gmail.com. Believe me, I will answer. So there was a full slate of rugby this weekend. So let's get on with the show. So we start as always with our current updates. And, you know, if you're actually a new listener, and I know we've got a, a small handful, um, this current updates is just things happening in my own life. And this weekend, the family and I went camping. Uh, we're huge fans of camping. Living so close to New Hampshire, there's just a ton of options for state parks and campgrounds. Although, you know, post-COVID, they all seem to get booked way, way ahead of time, which, I mean, I guess makes a a special eerie kind of sense. So this time we ended up much farther north than we have gone in the past, finding a spot at Walk State Park. Uh, we got what they called a remote wilderness site, which basically just meant nobody else was camping anywhere nearby. And we had a lot more room than usual, which was great. The other benefit was that it was right at the edge of a rapid river. So there was sort of a, a constant lovely sound just sort of accompanying the whole stay there. The downsides, of course, were A, no signal at all, so no fireside rugby watching for me after the, the scrum fam had hit the hay, and B, who boy did it ever rain. Our, our tents were up to it for the most part, uh, but it made keeping a fire going pretty challenging, to say the least. Uh, the site itself, by the way, somehow was called Osprey. So at one point, I think they, they threatened to merge us with Ealing Trail Finders, which, as I say it out loud, I don't know, it just sounds about it right. So. On the way up there, I planned a couple of stops just to keep my son from going bananas on an uninterrupted four and a half hour car ride. And the first one was at a quirky little bookstore. Um, the woman who seemed to be the owner, who went by the name of Cheech, was sporting a Nerfu shirt. So we ended up uh, just sort of chatting about New England Rugby Football Union for a while. It was a, a really cool surprise to find somebody from Nerfu there. She was, of course, a total badass, and I'm going to try to reach out to some people who may be able to work with them. If you or someone you know lives in New Hampshire or northern Massachusetts, be sure to look them up. It is an awesome organization, and their schedule is just about to start. In any event, it was a lovely little getaway for sure. I can't wait to get back up to the woods. As I said, however, I missed a lot of rugby this weekend. So a lot of this episode is just going to be sort of scores and competition updates. Just so's you knows. Well, Isa, it's definitely good news if your name happens to be Josh Lord. So quoting here, quote, Young Chiefs second row Josh Lord has been added to the All Black squad as they prepare for their Rugby World Cup warm-up encounter against the Springboks at Twickenham. The 22-year-old places Crusaders hooker George Bell, who was one of three players added to New Zealand's squad for the clash on Friday, August 25th. Chiefs uh, duo Semapeni Finau 
back row, and Brad Weber, scrum half, where the other two players called up to the squad for this one-off test. Bell has withdrawn from the squad after succumbing to injury. The test against the Bucks will be the All Blacks' last match before the Global Showcase kicks off with their tournament opener against host nation, nation France in Paris on September 9th. Oh my god, it's so close. That means New Zealand head coach Ian Foster and his fellow selectors will likely opt for a second-string lineup to keep their first-choice players fresh and injury-free. Lord was part of the All Blacks' 36-man rugby championship squad, but only played in one match starting the first test of the year in the 41-12 uh, victory against Argentina in Mendoza. He's highly rated in New Zealand and made his international debut as a replacement uh, against the USA Eagles in Chicago in 2021. Yeah, we remember. Uh, his inclusion in the rugby championship uh, championship squad was a surprising one, as he spent most of the past year on the sidelines. Lord suffered a knee injury in 2022, ruling him out of the rest of the season and most of the Chiefs' Super Rugby Pacific campaign in 2023. He missed out on selection for the All Blacks World Cup squad with Sam Whitelock, Brody Retallick, Scott Barrett, and Tupo Vai getting the nod in Foster's 33-man squad. Unquote. There are several new faces in the All Black squad that I'm looking forward to seeing in France in just a few weeks. What a tournament this is going to be. I can't wait. So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and, and my thoughts this week are again on the upcoming World Cup and some of the some of the odd stats that I've been seeing about it. So again, quoting here, quote, the Rugby World Cup is on our doorstep and begins in less than a month's time. The global showpiece that is only played every four years is often filled with glory and joy. But there, of course, is the other end of the spectrum. Ahead of the tournament, we took a look at the records that nobody wants their name next to for these World Cups unwanted records. So we start with most points conceded in a single match. For the first unwanted record, we travel back in time to 1995 when Japan were only establishing themselves as a rugby nation. Unfortunately for the Brave Blossoms, they came up against a Mark Ellis-inspired All Blacks, and it's safe to say it did not end well. The final score ended at 145 to 17 in favor of New Zealand, who would fall short of the title in the final, however. Runners-up Namibia are next in line as the hosts of the 2003 World Cup. Australia dismantled the African side 142 to 0. Uruguay, they round out the top three with a 111 to 13 loss to England in the same year. Next up was the biggest losing margin, another painful category to take the lead on, but this time it's the aforementioned Namibia who suffered the biggest losing margin it is, of course, the same game in 2003 against Eddie Jones Wallabies, where their side ran riot 142-0. to zero. Runners up, Japan's 145-17 to 17 loss switches to second for this category. Meanwhile, the All Blacks inflicted a 101-3 oh, route over Italy in 1999 to compete, uh, complete the top three. So most tries conceded. Unfortunately, the Namibians are taking the lead again. And it is the same infamous loss in 2003 that has them ahead in this category as they conceded a whopping 22 tries in that test. Runners-up Japan conceded 21 in their 95 loss, uh, while Uruguay conceded 17 against England. Worst win percentage in finals. So this year's hosts, France, 
they led the way in what could be the most painful of all the categories. Les Bleus have a 0% win rate in the Rugby World Cup finals after losing three of them. That was in 87, 99, and 2011. They will be desperate to write this record in 2023. Runners-up England have the second-worst win rate at 25%, winning just one of four, whilst the Wallabies come in at 50%, with two wins from four, most losing appearances. This category is one of the more personal on our list and is loaded with Namibians, Canadians, and Romanians. Eugene Yanchis of Namibia lost, oh my God, this dude, lost 14 Rugby World Cup tests on the bounce between 2007 and 2019. Runners-up not far behind Yanchis is Ovidiu Tanita of Romania and DTH Vandemurva of Canada with 12 losses in a row apiece. Most red cards by country. No player has received more than one red card in Rugby World Cups, but there have certainly been more than one from a single country. Canada actually lead the way. That's so impolite of them. Weird. Canada, they lead the way with four red cards, with two coming from the infamous uh, infamous match against the Springboks in 95, one from 99, and another from 2019. Runners-up Samoa and Tonga are just behind on three apiece, while Argentina, South Africa, Uruguay, and Wales all have had two at the global showpiece, unquote. So as you all know, I, I, I love stats, so I really thought this was kind of fun, though I, I choose not to dwell on the negative. So from now on, all Rugby World Cup chat here, at least, will be from a, a much more positive point of view. Okay, that brings us to our reviews, and you know it was it was kind of an odd slate of men's internationals this weekend. It all began on Wednesday with Canada versus Tonga. Naturally, this fixture wasn't available to me. Great, so the Canadians they ended up losing twenty eight to three. But if they were looking for positives, the Tongans didn't score a single point after minute fifty three. So the fact that the Canadians sort of dug in and showed such good defense even late on that was impressive. I'm still trying to get Connor Keyes on the show to talk about this tour, but we're currently, I guess, in a, a bit of a holding pattern. Please stay tuned for more in that department. On the weekend, however, we got started with England versus Wales at Swinglow Stadium. I almost fell asleep like 16 times during the first half. What a slugfest. So people like to use the phrase, one for the purists, when they describe incredibly low-scoring games. And I get that. The, the baseball equivalent would be a so-called pitcher's duel, and, and those things are all well and good. I'm, I'm happy to watch a low-scoring game if there's still some exciting plays and just cool things happening. But this, oy vey, it was, it was just rough. It was 6 to nothing at halftime. England's points coming off the sure but really smug boot of Owen Farrell. And a few minutes into the second half, the comms said, quote, Well, it's not been an easy wa uh, watch for Warren Gatlin tonight, and he's very much not alone, unquote. You said it, pal. So to be fair, things eventually did get, I guess I could say, interesting with Genge getting sent off, follow, uh, followed almost immediately by Freddie Stewart, whose infraction handed Wales a penalty try and their first lead of the night. Just five minutes after that, it was Owen, if you think that clothesline was good, wait till you get a load of my reckless shoulder charge, Farrell, also being sent off. And suddenly, the visitors had a three-player advantage. Farrell's yellow was upgraded to red in the so-called bunker. All signs pointed to a dramatic Welsh comeback. Sure enough, it took just a, a minute or two for Thomas Williams to score and get the lead to eight. 
uh, and approaching the 70 minute mark, the comms, they took that to be game over. However, this is Wales we're talking about. So when Atoje smashed through for a try, I, I just felt that familiar fear creeping in. Uh, up just a single point, it was Wales' turn to get pinged with Adam Beard seeing yellow at minute 75. And then it just it felt absolutely certain they would snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. The comms going on about how such a collapse would be unthinkable given the period of a three-man advantage combined with the now permanent absence of Farrell. It took only a minute for the ensuing penalty. George Ford lined up an easy one to steal a victory in front of a frothing home crowd. By the end, it was three yellows and a red to England, and yet 19 to 17 was the final score in a match that was edge of your seat for maybe 25 minutes and utterly stultifying the rest of the way. I haven't yet seen if the red card will be turned into a ban at all, but I imagine the powers that be are currently falling over themselves trying to find new ways to describe what a nice guy Owen Farrell is in order to drastically reduce any potential missed games. I gotta say, I had this funny, almost like cartoon image in my mind of the the whole proceedings just kind of being run by Owen Farrell and Johnny Sexton. Like they just take turns wearing the old fashioned white wig and saying, "You're free to go." Back and forth. And and by the way, if Gatland, if he regretted taking this job a couple months ago, how must he feel right now? Oh, a uh, quick update though. I did take a look just as I was about to record this. I saw that the red decision has been rescinded. So, enough said about that, I suppose. So then, of course, France welcomed Scotland in a game they would take a tad more seriously than last weekend. And sure enough, I mean, just seeing Antoine and Roma slotted in at 9 and 10 immediately just gave me the feeling that, holy crap, this one's going to be big. Side note on the sort of sound design, during the anthems at least, um, so at home, when Scotland are at home, I should say, the bagpipes drop out for the final stanza of Flower of Scotland, which really lends like some majesty to the whole performance as the crowd and the players are sort of united in a way unique to Scottish rugby. It's one of my favorite things. In this game, they obviously didn't have a live piper on hand, and they let the melody play through the whole song. I, I just hadn't thought about what makes that moment at home so special. I, I think I'm right about this. The entire place becomes a single voice, but that voice is only the players and the fans. There are no additional singers. There aren't even any instrumentalists. It's, it's almost private. It's like a, a coming together of voices that all want one single thing, and that thing is victory. Anyway. Maybe that's been really obvious to like everybody else in the world. Uh, but but for me, I don't know. It, it just really struck me this time, I guess, the importance of silence in a way. So they, of course, still had a game to play. And everything I just mentioned was likely forgotten by everyone but me within minutes. The comms had a great line right at kickoff, by the way, when they mentioned Darcy Graham credited Finn Russell's halftime speech in the lockers to their win last week. And the comms described the speech as being, quote, Hey guys, let's just have some fun and chuck the ball about, unquote, which is so perfect on so many levels. Okay, cards on the table. I was 100% expecting Scotland to get their collective asses handed to them massively for this one, but they surprised me and the crowd at Saint Etienne by scoring first a lovely little sequence that I, I mean, I could have sworn hinged on a pretty obviously forward pass that Kyle Stain dotted down to open the books. I mean, I support Scotland, obviously, but come on. 
that wasn't ball momentum. It was a clear forward pass, but the comms and the officiating crew saw no such thing. So I'm very happy to be wrong in this case. Ramos kick to get France on the board was ice cold. That dude is locked the F in. And I mean, he would be pure money all night long. That first kick, somehow it seemed to set the French on track and started a grinding momentum that speaks well to my prediction of their winning the World Cup at home. It felt a little nervous after their weird performance last weekend, but this looked far more like the t- the team that we're likely to see in September. So I'm back to feeling pretty confident about it. Who knows? Maybe they'll. Maybe I will actually, you know, place a bet on it. No, no, I won't. And to back. I swear, I'm seriously considering getting his haircut. I mean, my hair wouldn't do that, but at least telling them to give me that haircut, at least on the back of my head, right? It's got to be good luck or something, right? The man is magic right now. His try around the half hour mark made it look like troubled times ahead for the Scots. Damien Penno, he went through to pad the lead for the home team and with France leading 27 to 10, Dupont kicked the ball so hard it deflated completely. Somehow I just read that this caused Tom Brady to be suspended for several games. I'm not really sure how to explain that one. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Okay. Shortly after Legate deflate, Also, that was a joke for like me and two of my fans. Uh, Things did, in fact, really get exciting. At minute 62, it was Duhan getting through to make it 27 to 15, but Finn missed the conversion, a problem that would rear its head later as well. Only about five minutes later, Rory Darge added another try for the visitors, and less than five minutes after that, Kyle Stain again broke through to tie things up. Finn missed that conversion as well. So just for the record, that's four points left out there on the field over the course of just 10 minutes or so. It it felt painfully inevitable when Ramos again slotted a kick to give France the lead once more, closing out the match and crushing the comeback hopes of Scotland fans everywhere. 30 to 27 was your final in this one. Definitely a lot closer than I had dared to imagine. So I guess that's a takeaway. I gotta ask, are, are Scotland like good now? It seems really weird to say it out loud, right? If you look at the world rankings for the men's teams, you'll see New Zealand have quietly sort of usurped the number two slot from France with Ireland still on top, of course. After France, though, it's South Africa. And then, gulp, Scotland. Have we, I'm seriously asking, have we somehow entered a world where when Scotland beat England, it's not an upset? Does that qualify as like a sign of the apocalypse? Because it feels that way. So don't worry, I will still do everything in my power to repress any hope that may or may not sort of be trying to grow up inside me. This too shall pass. Much like the previous fixture, though, I I figured I should look online before doing this recording just now. And sure enough, it's abysmal news for France. The injury Entomac sustained in this match turned out to be much, much worse than they thought in the moment. Quoting from Planet Rugby, quote, the coaching staff weren't too concerned about the injury after the match. Quote, Roma under- underwent a small hyperextension of the knee. We preferred to take him out of the game so there could be no further damage, unquote. Head coach Fabian Galtier said following the win. However, it looks as if their worst fears have come true with the fly half reportedly set to miss the entire tournament france rugby have confirmed that entomac has ruptured cruciate ligament ligaments in his left knee acl injury which will sideline him for the tournament and a large chunk of toulouse's 2023 to 2024 season un 
quote. Gotta say, I'm I'm really saddened by this. This this isn't just bad for France and for French fans. Like it's bad for all rugby loving people. Entomac, he's one of a kind. I sincerely hope he's able to get back on the pitch sooner than they think right now. What a bummer. So elsewhere, Georgia, we're back home in Tbilisi for Romania, and it did not go well for the Romanians who didn't manage to score a try while Georgia ended up with eight, all by different players, by the way, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. 56-2-6 was the final score in that one. Then we had my USA Eagles. They were looking for a little bit of revenge in Portugal. And, well, let's just say it'll have to wait a little longer. The Portuguese, you know, pretty much manhandled us more than doubling our total score. Cam Dolan scored a try, which Luke Cardi converted. Cardi also slotting his two penalty kicks, uh, kicks as well. Our only other points were, were from a penalty try. Well, Portugal, they scored six tries, including a brace from Rodrigo Marta. They also added a penalty try of their own and a kick to end up big winners, 46 to 20 in that one. Eek. Finally, it was a clash I've definitely never seen before. It was Chile hosting Namibia. And, and oh man, I, I wish I had been able to watch this one somehow. Both teams scored four tries with the only difference in the entire match by the end, a single extra conversion by Namibia who grabbed a two-point lead at the 70-minute mark and then held on to win 26-28. to 28. Come on, World Rugby. Let us watch, will ya? Sheesh. Okay, next up, the FPC. It was round five of the Fair Palmer Cup in New Zealand. But as I said earlier, I was away and had zero service all weekend. So I, I admit I hardly caught any of it this round, but I can certainly report on what actually transpired. If you're not watching the FPC yet, by the way, it, it, it's on Flow Rugby. I highly recommend it. The FPC, that is not Flow, of course. Ugh. So we began with Counties Monaco versus Auckland. Counties were overmatched, but you know, the whole way in this one, the visitors rolling to a convincing 10 to 37 victory. Next up, we had the boop, Volcanics versus Wellington. It's a bit shocking seeing how things are going for Wellington this year. This marked their fifth consecutive loss this season by a bigger margin than the one just described between counties and Auckland, 37 to 7 in favor of the home team in this case. Wellington, they look poised to get relegated to the championship, something that hasn't happened to them since 2017. I wish I had an answer for just like what's going on with them right now. I don't I don't get it. Uh, Northland women versus Taranaki women was next in the list. This one turned into a colossal shut out with Northland running up a huge 67 to nil win. Ouch. Otago were at home for North Harbor hibiscus. It was close most of the way, but didn't really look that way in the final scoreboard. Uh, Otago getting themselves an emphatic 37 to 12 win at home. By the way, that meant in exactly half of this round's fixtures, one team scored 37 points. What were the odds of that? So Hawks Bay Tui versus the uh, Canterbury women. That one was next on my list. And I mean, somebody call an ambulance because the home side got absolutely destroyed by the visitors. This was almost a free jacks in Toronto level beatdown. Hawks Bay scoring 14 to Canterbury's. Wait for it. 84. Oh my word, that one hurt. Come on, Bay. So next up, the Manawatu Cyclones versus the Tasman women. It was another great result for my new favorites. The home team, as my mom would say, throuncing 
their guests 46 to 14. I swear they are fun to watch before the game starts while they're playing and then after the match when they're singing and celebrating and just generally carrying on it is just the most positive infectious vibe i've ever encountered in a rugby team i think anywhere ever you've just you've got to check them out they're so cool so just quickly after this round we're looking at one unbeaten team in the premiership and one in the championship. That's the Waikato women and the Manawatu Cyclones, respectively. Canterbury women in Auckland are both three and one in the top division. Records echoed by Northland and Otago in the lower division. Hawks Bay Tui and Counties Monaco are at two and two, as are the Tasman women, while the Volcanics got their first win of the year this week. Wellington in the Premiership and both North Harbour and the Taranaki women in the championship remain winless. As the official website said, quote, the contenders are beginning to separate themselves from the pretenders, unquote, and it's so good. So moving over to the NPC, it was, in fact, round two of the National Provincial Championship in the Aotearoa. We started with my sneaky favorite thing about this comp, namely, they do Wednesday games. Is there anything better than in the middle of the week, you're, you're like, you're looking ahead to the weekend's action, and suddenly you remember, there was a game at like 3 a.m. this morning that I've just got sitting there in my queue just waiting for me. How good is that? Anyway. Our first hump day fixture of the year was Northland taking on Taranaki in what they kept calling the winterless north, which is not a phrase that describes where I live even one bit. Uh, the best thing, though, was in the lead up. I mean, I have to assume that after the introductions of the lineups, the original broadcast must have gone to commercial because the camera operators just all of a sudden started wildly zooming in and out and sort of sweeping around trying to find new angles. While meanwhile, the comms just started chatting a little bit. I apologize that I don't know their names. They just never tell us uh, on Flow Rugby. But the woman who was the lead said to her counterpart, mate, I had to do the FIFA last week. Those European names, I just have no idea. The Scandinavians especially. I, I'm sitting there thinking, what am I even saying right now? And the guy goes, nobody else in New Zealand knows either. So I think you're all right. Can this be a thing? Can we spend every pregame just sort of playing hot mic? It was awesome. Anyway. It was a great contest, as it turned out, the lead, always in balance. But to quote Carly Rae Jepsen, that's a try, and this is crazy, because he takes his time. It's Angus, maybe. And it was the Bulls retaking the lead after a very, very slowly acknowledged score. And is there a better name for someone making the ultimate, ultimate decisions than maybe? Love it. Anyway, the Bulls, again, spurred by the pest himself, slowly ground down their hosts, uh, hosts, their hosts, really stepping it up in the final stages. Northland looked like they had a lot of work-ons, and Taranaki came out with a pretty easy win, 13-28 to 28 in this one. So next up was Counties Monaco versus Hawks Bay, and continuing this new tradition of the pregame hot mic, and I, I swear I actually have to change the settings on this podcast to indicate it's explicit, so if uh, you're swear-averse, you might want to hit the old plus 30 seconds thing. Sideline reporter Taylor Johnson, when asked about the match day conditions, said, quote, well, it's fucking freezing, isn't it? <laughs> Unquote. Uh, this one was as close as it gets. It actually looked like counties would get their first win since September of last year. 
bit of a boneheaded move as Lincoln McCletchy doinked a gimme off the posts that would have gotten them within a point. And with the home team adding a penalty with maybe a minute left, it was a six point margin. But then in quote referees time, unquote, as the comps put it, never heard that one before. Hawks Bay came down, got themselves a penalty try to ice it and break the hearts of the local fans. What a dramatic finish. Joel Hintz continues to show them how to win ugly or in any way possible 24 to 25 in this one. More updates about Joel Hintz as I get them. So next on the schedule was boop versus Waikato. I'll mention it again. We were away this weekend. So the two games I discussed above were the only ones I watched in full before adding uh, Manawatu versus Taranaki after we got back Monday evening. So I've only got some more sort of updates and scores for the next slew of fixtures with the boop game. They managed to edge out Waikato by four. It was 19 to 15 by the end. Next up, it was Otago hosting Wellington, who I believe have their first three games on the road this year. This one looked like a bit a bit of a laugher. Uh, Otago only scoring five points to the reigning champions, 28. Tasman versus Auckland was next, and it was a good old-fashioned double-up. The Mako getting 24 to Auckland's 12. Then it was a compass clash between Southland and Northland, and fittingly, it ended in a 15-hole draw. I don't know exactly why I get a huge kick out of that, but I very much do. North Harbor versus Canterbury came next. It was a close one, at least by the final whistle, with the visiting Canterbury team sneaking away with a nice little four-point road win, 24-28, to 28, when that was all said and done. And then in a clash of two teams, uh, bolstered by a raft of players from my beloved Free Jacks, it was <laughs> the Manawatu Turbo Jacks, copyright Phil Harris, at home for the Free Bulls from Taranaki, copyright me. Uh, to be fair, these teams had very different trajectories over the course of last season. And so it's not going to be easy for even a coach of Mike Rogers' caliber to get things going the right way in Manawatu. The Turbos, they got on the board first, but things turned pretty quickly with last week's Diamond in the Ruck, Jesse the Pest Beretti, uh, getting the first try of the match. And it, it took just minutes for them to grab another. At the 34-minute mark, they got yet another. And Manawatu, they looked deflated at least from where I sat, a penalty try for the Bulls just before halftime really made things look ominous. It wouldn't be until just before the final quarter that the home team would get their first try. Taranaki definitely took their foot off the proverbial gas in the second half, scoring not one single point. And Manawatu, they seemed to work out a couple of bugs as they put together two converted tries, but it, you know, it was too little too late. Taranaki winning pretty handily 17-26. to 26. By the end of this one, Wednesday is going to put Hawks Bay and Waikato on the short week watch, a phrase I invented literally just now. And I realize it's possible that game will have already happened by the time you actually listen to this. Man, I love these Wednesday fixtures. They just really make dull weeks so much better. So it's only been two rounds, but we have five unbeaten teams, Taranaki, Canterbury, Tasman, Wellington, and Hawks Bay, as well as six teams still looking for a W with uh, North Harbor, Southland, Counties Monaco, and Northland winless, but holding two table points, while Otago and the Turbo Jacks are winless and staring at a goose egg in terms of league points. Well, 
course, by that music, you will all know it is time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. This week, the award goes to Tomos Ramos. Mr. Ramos, you are absolutely on fire these days. Your uncanny knack for slotting difficult penalties and conversions makes you even more of a threat than your prodigious powers across the back line would normally create. Sure, sometimes you headbutt players, sometimes you even spit in their faces, but this week... We're overlooking those things, much like the average judicial panel, and granting you this, rugby's most prestigious award. If it wasn't for the ice water in your veins, your side could easily have lost out to a Scotland team even I have a hard time believing in. And while I'm not particularly happy about the result, your performance has proved most deserving of all this weekend. Thomas Ramos, congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well... Done, sir. Okay, my friends, that brings us to our updates and previews. You know, I would have included Tonga versus Canada here, but that match apparently has already transpired with Tonga again victorious, but Canada quadrupling their previous score progress, right? 36 to 12 in that one elsewhere. We've got Wales this weekend hosting South Africa. Whew. Ireland versus England. Oh, man. And Italy versus Romania. Nah. As well as France versus Fiji. Uruguay welcoming Argentina uh, Argentina 15. And my beloved Eagles head to the Mikhail Meshki Stadium to face Georgia. Oh, that's going to be a really, really tough one. So. In the FBC, it's already round six, which means Hibiscus versus Taranaki, Tasman versus Northland, Canterbury versus Counties, Otago versus Manawatu, Volcanic, uh, the Volcanics versus Hawks Bay Tui, and Auckland versus Waikato. In the NBC, we're clicking on to round three, featuring uh, Counties versus the Boop, uh, North Harbor versus Auckland, Wellington versus Southland, Canterbury versus Manawatu. Northland versus the Mako Magpies versus Otago, Waikato versus Taranaki, and of course, there will be a lovely little Wednesday match between Wellington and Tasman. And oh man, this comp is so fun. my friends that does it for yet another week doesn't it feel like the world cup starts like any minute now i mean i know it's still a few weeks away but it's just a weird feeling like i'm like i'm gonna wake up one morning and just find i've accidentally missed france versus new zealand you know like in the meantime there's of course a ton of great action on the way in the meantime i just said in the meantime twice but that's okay as always, I will be here to blather on about it unendingly. So, to all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon, my friends. And please, be well.